To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? I got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I have on Dione Amuchastegi. Hopefully I got that right. I had him pronounce it at the beginning of the podcast, uh, but now it's been a few minutes since I listened to it. Pronunciation is not my strong suit, but uh, Dione is a heck of a guy and a heck of a hunter. I really like him. So this is an interesting conversation. Dione has developed these specific tactics for the region that he lives in, um, and also the specific season that that he hunts the most. So he hunts the the pre rut, the 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 post summertime in, in this lull before these mule deer move down to rut, and it's the toughest time of year to hunt mule deer. And so that's usually when they give rifle tags, and especially general rifle tags, which Dione is accustomed to. He gets his his general tags every year, and he's developed these these tactics. And he's just found a way to be consistently successful year after year. And so he just keeps building his knowledge base and keeps putting really big deer on the deck. And so this was fun. Not all my tactics are exactly the same as his. And, and so that's the fun of the podcast is being able to, to contrast and compare. And then, you know, what he said, it, it made a lot of sense to me. And so then I'm able to take that information and apply it to my own hunts and my own hunting and my own spots that I hunt regions and things. So just a fascinating conversation. And, um, I sure thank, uh, Dione for his time and sharing all the information. So we'll get this thing rolling. I just want to thank our sponsors. So first off, I want to thank Zamberlin. Uh, Zamberlin just builds great boots. They're a great company. I've been using them the last few years. I have fallen in love with their boots to have a boot the single piece leather design and quality leather. Uh, they they build their boots waterproof, which is huge for keeping your feet warm. You think it would be a given, but it's so tough to keep them dry in wet grass or wet snow. And Zamberlin fits the bill. That single piece leather design means you can also apply, uh, you know, waterproofing. You can uh, apply oil to them and keep them waterproof. So they're just a great boot. I've been using the the Trail Light. Uh, let me let me look up here. I am using the 320 Trailite Evo GTX. I love these boots. They're so lightweight. I can stock in them. I can feel the ground. Great for backpacking, man. It's just awesome boots. So um, I'm going to get another pair this year. Um, I still have my pair from last year, and I'll continue to use those. Uh, they, they've held up. Um, to the abuse that I put on them throughout the years. And then Zamberlin did this cool deal. We had the best sponsors, and Eastman's has done a good job. Like, I I have to ask these guests, you know, to be on the podcast, to take time away from their families, and then to share this information that's taken them years to gain, you know. And and everybody's so willing to have these, these open conversations with me and then share them with all you guys. And so these sponsors have done a good thing. Eastman's has lined it up for me where we, we can give away guests, give away two guest uh, sponsor items on the podcast. And so uh, this just makes me feel really good to, to ask somebody for their time and then to have you know something to be able to give to them for being on. And so Dione's on the podcast. I give him a pair of Zamberlin boots uh, somewhere in the middle of the podcast there. Um, so we got him a pair of uh, 4014 Lynx Mid Boa GTX RR. So 
Um, this is another great boot that Zamberlin makes. And so just so awesome that, that I had that to give away to Dione on the podcast and he'll get years of use out of them. And so um, if you guys are in the market for new boots, make sure to go try on some Zamberlins. Um, you can try them on with our other sponsor at Sportsman's Warehouse, which is another great company. But uh, Sportsman's Warehouse, they carry a bunch of these different boots, in carry, uh, including the 320 Trail Light Evo GTX that I wear, uh, including the 414 Lynx Mid Boa uh, that I just gave Dione. And then they have a bunch of other ones, the the, the 1017 uh, Smilden GTX RR, the 980 Outfitter GTX RR, uh, the 981 Wasatch GTX RR, uh, the Seguero, the, the Vios, the Mountain Track, the Leopard. So there's a bunch of different ones that you can go try on because everybody's feet uh, and needs for a boot and and preferences are a little bit different. So uh, you can go into Sportsman's Warehouse. It's one of the things I love about that company is that uh, so much is done over the internet nowadays, but to have these sporting goods stores that you can go in, touch and feel the fabric, try it on, make sure it's right for you. They have a knowledgeable staff in each department. Uh, glass, you can look through it. Uh, tripods, you can... Um, you know, adjust them and feel them and feel the weight. So I just love being able to touch and feel it. And the other great thing too is these sportsman's warehouses are located throughout the West. And so if you're going on a hunt or need something for a hunt and you're in transit, like I can always look up one of these places and stop and get what I need. Um, yeah, my buddy Dan, I remember Arizona a couple years ago, he stopped and it's just a game changer. He got a tripod accessory for his binos, which is almost a must for those coos deer. Um, so, so nice that we could stop in Arizona. He could pick that up. Didn't have enough time to, to mail it to himself or order it. And uh, like I say, Sportsman's fits a great niche. Um, we're really happy to have him as a sponsor here. So make sure to check him out. The other uh, sponsor gear that they carry in there is Sitka, uh, which is great technical mountaineering gear. And so uh, you can also try that on at Sportsman's Warehouse. So uh, if you're in the need for anything hunting, make sure to stop by or fishing for that matter. Um, I think I told you guys, I think I said on the last promotion, I stopped by there and got some um, some bead hooks uh, for trout. And then I get all my steelhead hooks there. Um, they've got Gamagatsu number size number two circle hook, just the best hook on the planet for steelhead. So um, you can also get those there. So you can go there for your fishing needs. So thanks to Sportsman's Warehouse. Thanks to Zamberlin. So nice to be able to give those to Dione. Um, I've been rambling long enough. Let's get into this podcast uh, talking about um, mule deer, Dione, Amuchistagi. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Uh, meet your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevator. Here we go. Okay, so I'm live here. I've got Dione on the phone. I'm really looking forward to this one. Dione, you're a, a mule deer nut that I think has really paid your dues over the years and in, improved your skill set with mule deer. And then one of the things that we were just talking about and we just started the podcast is um man i think a lot of your success ties directly to your toughness and your grit and your determination to just keep covering miles and keep looking for that buck so welcome to the podcast first of all yeah thanks for having me yeah will you pronounce your last name for me once amuchastegi okay gotcha and got it i didn't want to yeah. mess that up to start the podcast 
Yes, standard spelling for anybody trying to look me up. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, um, yeah, thanks for being on. Congratulations on your season, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was a good year. Man, a great early season deer, and then we were chatting right before I hit the record button, and then um, you you pulled out a good uh, October deer in in a cold mid-season pre-rut hunting, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one that one was an interesting hunt. Uh, had some really really cold weather early on, and it kind of warmed up, and the sun came out, and deer got pretty scarce, but uh, I was able to just keep keep after it, and, and ended up getting into one. Um, yeah, it ended up working out good though. Man, you proved it time and time, time and time again. Like I, that October season is really tough to hunt. And I, I'm a mule deer, not just like you, but I hunt a lot of the bow seasons. So I hunt a lot of the, the August seasons, which I saw your early season deer. Uh, that was just a monster wide one. You know, that was a great buck, but I see that you harvest a lot of your bucks during you know these easier to draw or general season rifle tags in october during that pre-rut where they're really tough to hunt yeah i've i've really uh i I guess i've found my my niche there in october um where where the the primary challenge is finding them you know the it's it's wizardry as far as i'm concerned anybody who can sneak into bow range on big deer consistently but um in October, the big game is the big game is finding them. Once you, once you find them, the rest of it comes pretty easy. But um, that's that's the real challenge in uh, in October, anyways. So, well, yeah, it's uh, wizardry to to find them consistently that time of year. Well, and just to to keep your attitude up and keep believing there's deer around and keep putting in miles. So, Dione, when you're when you're looking around trying to locate these bucks, because I'm with you, I think like that's the toughest thing of that season you know, or any season, you know, you have to, you have to find a big buck before you can kill a big buck. And so I know you scout a lot in the summertime. Are you going off scouting? Are you going off past hunting basins, uh, new spots, or just a combination of everything when you're going out during those seasons? So for me, scouting is huge. Um, you know, I, and, and the thing I like to relate it to, like most guys who shoot their bow, practice their bow all year long. Most, most guys that shoot, long range especially will shoot the rifle all year long guys work out all year long uh you know to get in shape for hunting season and i like to think i look for deer all year long and scouting is is a huge component of that for me you know recognizing what deer like uh, figuring out their patterns figuring out the areas they like to hang out in what they're eating and it's just more and more practice glassing and and identifying things that deer like and i feel like you know, not only have, have I learned a lot about individual deer throughout the scouting season while they're, they've got a bright red coat and they're easy to see and they're out for longer during the day, but I'm also just better at picking out things that deer might choose um, situationally over other areas or um, situations that, that happen in their environment, whether it's pressure or uh, weather or other, other things of that nature. So uh, for me, scouting's huge, even if I'm not necessarily hunting an area that I scouted. Yeah, um, boy, you're sure a student of the game. That's so smart. Like, you're right. When you go on a scouting, and scouting is almost its own season. There, you still get that enjoyment and that thrill of locating bucks through the scope. And I like what you said. You know, they're red coats. Um, you know, more of a lax summer attitude, and so they're easier to locate in that summer. Less pressure. 
And so you get to kind of travel around backcountry that's mule deer habitat and find out what they like and what they don't. And so I, I think that's so great, like what you said. So you could locate a buck, and then you know he's in that area, and so you'll go in and hunt him later in the season or maybe you're just trying to figure out and find where these deer favor and where they like to hang out and the ridge lines and the basins they like, and then you go back in there and you may not even be hunting the same deer. No, no, and there's there's been times where new deer have shown up in the area I'm, I'm hunting. There's been times where the deer that I've scouted have just vanished, but my ability to locate and pattern and hunt deer um, in those areas is better from watching deer in those areas or, or anywhere else. Um, it's like anything you practice it, you're going to get better at it. Yeah, that makes good sense. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, I know the spots you, you hunt, or at least during that October season, you know, those deer, they move down to that secondary living, but mule deer like to live, you know, they can be comfortable in smaller areas. They find a basin they like or they prefer they want to live in that basin until they're spooked out of it. And I find, too, that where I find them in the early season, those bucks are still around come secondary living. They they just scoot down a 1,000 feet or so, and they're still in, like, really rough, rugged terrain, like avalanche shoots and slides and small openings. But that October season that you hunt, they just tighten up their program so much where they make themselves seen less – you know, during daylight hours where they're just out that first 10 minutes, maybe in that last 10 minutes, and then they're back and they start living in the timber more once they, once they rub that velvet. Is that what you find too? Is like bucks that you scout yeah. will stay in that same area. And so you'll just keep hunting that same area until you can find them again. Exactly. That's, that's what I do. And, and you know, the, the areas I'm hunting aren't crazy high elevation. They're kind of mid range anyways. So they're areas where these deer happen to summer and will spend most of their fall. Um, so yeah, I, I think those deer, they just harden up their routine and, and I've explained it because I've had a number of people ask me, um, you know, situationally, Hey, I found this deer in the summer. What do you think he's doing? And, and the best way to explain it is that old, old deer got old by doing certain things. And those things are cemented in their mind as the reasons why they're still alive. And they don't like to deviate from them. If they've had a successful game plan that's gotten them to four, five, six years old, they're not going to deviate from that. That's what they know. So those areas that you find them, that's their home. That's where they've made a living. That's how they've survived. They've seen other deer die likely. And they've they've got a solid plan for what they need to do to stay alive. So if something goes wrong, they're not going to leave their home. That's their safe area. They're going to use it differently. They're not going to go to some area that they've never been to, though. So, um, in my experience, they, you know, situationally, some places are different, but the areas I'm hunting, anyways, that's that's where they want to be. That's where they've set up shop to make a living. Dione, that's so well put. You're so right. Like they figure out a spot that you know, that they've survived in and then that's where they want to be. And so they have escape routes out of there. That's what makes them feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they never get spooked or they never get bumped. Somebody may come in that drainage and may bump them. They have escape routes and then they have places where, you know, that I call secondary living where they've got a basin that they kind of know it's just not their first home. And like you, 
I find that they want to come back to that first spot, that home basin. Sometimes they'll disappear from me and go into another living and I can't relocate them or secondary living into some new drainages. But I'm with you. I think even after you spook a buck, he just wants to return there. You put it so well that they've made their living and survived that way. And so that's what they feel comfortable with. That, that's so well put. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of times there's misconceptions that bucks will leave areas because people will see them somewhere and then they'll go back to that same spot repetitively and not see that deer again. And, uh, and that's another one I think I've got a pretty good analogy for, um, you know, so if, if you see a bunch of deer feeding together in an area, that's the same as us going to a restaurant. Okay. There's going to be a bunch of other people there at that restaurant. We're not there with all those people. We happen to be there for the same reason, but we're not there with them. So just because you see one buck with another buck in an area and then you don't see them with that buck anymore, that doesn't mean that they don't still live close by there. They, they were going to a place for a resource and then they, they may have their hidey hole or their favorite little spot, their little pocket they hang out in somewhere adjacent to that area. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's, that's the main spot. So, you know, when I find a deer in an area and if I go back and don't see him again, I don't think, oh man, that deer was just moving through and now he's gone. He probably lived somewhere adjacent to there and it was a coincidence that he was with those other deer at that time. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I've seen that too is, is I spot deer and you're right. Like, and, and they tighten up their program in that October, but I'm just finding during all seasons, they're tightening up their program. When I, when I started hunting them mule deer with my bow way back when there was hardly any guys doing it. I had it to myself. So those deer would have that lax summertime attitude. I find now that mm-hmm. that's changing just with the hunting pressure, the bow pressure guys being in there that they change to that secondary living. And I'm with you. I've hunted some tough pressure spots where they're the biggest buck I ever killed. I saw two times in seven days of hunting. So like 13 different sits on the vantage point, And I saw this buck twice. Like he just ran yep. a tight program down there. And when they get to be five, six, seven, eight years old, they know that basin and, and they know their feeding features and their bedding features. And, and I also think that they, they, they learn to live in country that's tough to glass too, you know, because yep. therefore it's tougher for guys to see them. So they survive longer. And so, you know, they, they're, they're way down, they're tucked into spots, you know, places that aren't easy to see. It seems like to me. Yeah. I, a perfect example of that. I killed a, a big mid one eighties buck a couple of years ago and I watched this deer for two months religiously. I'd go in there every other weekend for three days. And, and I knew when I went in there that I was going to be there three days, pretty much sun up to sundown, and I'd probably see that deer once. And that was just the pattern. That's what I expected. Um, you know, I didn't go in there and get really bummed out on day one when I didn't see him. I just knew that that deer, um, he hid in that country so well that I was probably only going to get to see him once. That's where he lived. I mean, that was his home, and I ended up killing him there opening day, October 10th. Um, you know, after, after we got a huge snow in September still. So, uh, you know, they, they make these patterns and they live by them. Yeah. I find it's true even in the late season too, like, uh, you know, they throw caution into the, the wind for the rut, but I find too, that the bucks that get old have rutting grounds where they don't get chased. They have rutting grounds that are away from, uh, roads away from pressure and they'll rut like back in these basins 
that are secluded, and that's why they get to be five, six, seven years old. They don't get shot as a three or a four year old because that's their rutting ground. So they are a, cr- a creature of habit, aren't they? Oh yeah, I think so. I can't I can't speak to the uh, the rut hunts. I've I've only ever really done one, but um, yeah, they. They, they make a living doing the things they do for sure. Huh. Yeah, you got such cool country to hunt them in too. Like, um, you know, what well, we all do across the West. And I know you hunt a bunch of different spots, but boy, you got some some rugged country down through there. Just um, just prime habitat for mule deer. And there there aren't huge densities of them either. They're not everywhere, like in a Nevada or like in a Colorado. You don't see hundreds of bucks. You know, it's tough, rugged, remote country that you have to put on a bunch of miles. And then just kind of learn what they favor and locate a group of bucks somewhere. It seems to me like you could look at 10 drainages and you may only find one that holds the bucks. Yeah, and I I don't know. I have a somewhat different approach. Um, I'm not a huge cover a bunch of miles guy. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Just, just where I hunt, it doesn't seem to be as beneficial just because it does take three days sometimes to see that one buck. So I, I primarily do my country covering early. So like pre-July, I, I'm scouting different areas. Uh, and then even maybe halfway through July. And then after July, I've kind of got areas picked out where where I think is, is the prime places for a big buck to hang out. And then I'll just, I'll grind it out in those spots, even if, uh, even if it takes multiple trips to find, to find that one buck. Um, for instance, the, the buck I killed early this year, I'd been in that spot, <clears throat> oh, probably close to 15, 20 times over the last three years, and I'd never seen that buck. Um, well, that's not true. I think I actually saw that buck once the first time I was ever in there, but I never saw him again. And it was it was that situational, like, oh, I happened to see him with this one group of other deer, um, but that's not where he hung out most of the time. And, and just as a happenstance, I glassed a hillside that I never spent much time looking at, uh, on the fifth day I'd been in that area, um, this year and just happened to glass that buck, um, coincidentally in an area that I didn't think was very good. So here's an area that I've spent a lot of days in, uh, over the last few years and, and coincidentally seeing that buck maybe one time before. So it just goes to show how hard, even in an area where you're looking very intently, uh, it is to find some of these deer. So, so my game plan really is to just try and find every deer in the areas I'm looking and, uh, and not so much spread myself out into a bunch of areas. Man. Um, yeah. What a great specialized approach, um, that you've come up with over the years, um, you know, from from learning yeah. these mule deer habits, and and you know, you you're you're putting in your work during scouting to to locate these areas that are prime where you can where you know big bucks are, and then it's just the belief that they're there. And like you said, you may take multiple trips to find the buck that that's living in there that you know is living in there. Man, I like that. So you're really getting in and you're picking apart these drainages where you know these deer live, and you may spend a whole weekend. Even if you don't see the buck that you that you're after, you're not going to go jump to a new area. You know he's living in there somewhere. Yeah, and my my whole thing is try and find the best buck on that mountain. And I think that's something that's underdeveloped. I think there's a lot of areas that hold good deer that get get just kind of glossed over because people don't see them quickly. Um, you, you know, there's areas where it's, it'd be a huge waste of time. Like if you've got big wide open basins 
and you can go in there middle of the summer and probably see every deer that's there in the middle of the day, you're probably wasting your time. But in areas that have a lot of topography and a lot of timber and good cover for these deer, it's really, really easy to miss them. It's easier to miss them than it is to find them, even if you're pretty good at finding deer. Dude, I'm with you. um, I've spent a lot of time figuring out the areas that I really do drill down on. But I feel like once you've got an area in central Idaho that you know consistently holds good deer, you really need to just grind it out and make sure you're finding the best deer. Because you can go to a lot of other places trying to find better deer, but I'd rather do – I'd rather do a good service to one spot, find 100% of the deer in one spot than find half the deer in a dozen spots. Yeah, that makes good sense. And as you're describing it, like I can relate, like, um, you know, hunting Wyoming this year, like it was a bow season, but the bucks had moved down off the Alpen Basin. So they're really in the secondary living and they're, they're really getting prepped for the Wyoming rifle season that opened September 15th. So those deer are sharp, mm-hmm. but I'm with you. I'm sitting in the absolute best basin that I've hunted. I've taken a couple different bucks out of there. Like it's a spot that I know that I've scouted that I know big bucks are, but even the big bucks that I would see with a sticker or a wide 30 or whatever, I wouldn't see them every day. Like I'd see that buck one day and sometimes you just catch them moving through a little opening. Maybe you're sitting on the vantage point for two hours and you got a five minute window to catch that buck moving through an opening. And then he's in the timber Mm -hmm. again. And, And I'm, I'm with you where sometimes I won't see that buck for two, three days, even though I have the best vantage point on the spot where he's living. They're just amazing how they can live in those areas undetected. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'd spend a day in, uh, in one of these spots like you are just talking about where they're just so hard to pick out. Um, I, I'd taken a friend in there. We were hunting, my friend Carl Blanchard and I, and we spent three days watching a deer pretty much sun up to sundown, and he was on a hill that was so timbered up that, that there was really no approach to get closer. We had to just sit on an opposing hillside. We spent three days watching that deer where, where we just flat couldn't even kill him. Some of these areas that the only way you can see the deer is, is you know, across the canyon, and then there's really no way to kill them until they make a mistake. So um, they, they hang out in areas where they have an advantage for sure. And um, you you do it for the challenge the same reason I do, right? Those big, cagey, old bucks, man, they're tough to kill no matter what weapon you're using, you know? And in some of that country, you're right. It's just mission impossible until they make a mistake, until they slip up. But that's the only way you're going to kill them. Otherwise, they're just living in a, a perfect spot. And like you say, the closer you get are on the same hillside. You just can't see them when you're over there and they got you beat, you know? So... Yeah. Um, man, that's, that's a fun game you're playing. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and to, to go back to something we were talking about before, um, before we were recording here, um, you know, like I said, I, I do things a lot differently than some people. Uh, when I go into an area, I, I plan to set up shops. So I'll, I'll pack in quite a bit more gear than, than the average hunter who's, who's trying to travel light and, and cover country we were talking, you know, it's, it's not very fun to strap on, on frozen boots in the morning, you know, like when it was, it was negative five opening morning at deer season this year. Uh, I'd been in there for a couple of days. So, so I was all iced up. So for me, it's really important to pack in a lot of that extra stuff. So I've, I've got a fresh pair of socks for every day. I've got a lot of extra clothing that, that a lot of people who are moving all day wouldn't cause I'm, I'm pretty much set up shop. I might only move a few hundred yards a day trying to find just different angles for that same basin the entire day. So it's, it's a whole different approach and, and everything you do has to be set up a little different for it. So, man, that's cool. That's, um, 
you know, patience kills the buck. And uh, yeah, you're def- definitely displaying like a high amount of patience to be able to sit in those same spots or just move and get different angles on it. So most of the time you're trying to get to a good vantage point and then you're living on that vantage point, picking it apart until you catch the deer. So you don't run like a, a mobile vantage point or where you'll hunt a ridge line kind of glassing down. You want to be sitting in the best spot to see the most country you can. Yeah, because I've a lot of people think you have to have the the very first few minutes of the day and the very f- last few minutes of the day, and I've found in some of this country it, it's it's thick enough that the deer will feel safe to move a short distance midday. So a lot of times I'll I'll even find these deer quite a bit between the hours of eleven and one, um, maybe as early as as ten to one, and uh, I really just have to focus on glassing all day long. I, I set up shop. I, I I used to take a lot more naps on the mountain, but I've, I've found a lot of these deer middle of the day. So, and, and they're not moving far. It's, it's just a small window of an opening or, or you're looking on a completely uh, timbered, burned timber hillside and, and just catching them moving through the trees. So just moving, you really beds. have to be intent. Yeah. Sorry. Yep, Deone, moving, beds. moving beds or getting a, a bite to eat or something, but real close proximity to where they're bedding, right? Like not traveling big distances. Yeah. So for instance, that, that buck, um, I killed a couple of years ago. I watched for, for two months, uh, through August, he was moving. He'd, he'd probably cover a half mile of the hill every day from his, his, his morning routine to get up and, and move through the afternoon to his afternoon bed up on the ridge line, And then they'd, they'd feed in the evening and, and kind of work their way part way back down the hill. And then I'd find them back down at the, the bottom of a little draw again the next morning, usually. Well, come October, that, that routine tightened up to where I'd find him in his uh, first bed a little bit after 9, and then he would take off and move 50 to 150 yards and re-bed um, around 9.30 or so, and then he, he'd stay there. I'd have to pull out my notes to see the exact time, but he'd stay there for a couple more hours, and then he would go straight down to the bottom of the draw into such thick timber you'd never see him again. And then I wouldn't find him in the evening and he'd show back up the next morning. So, you know, his, his morning transition went from about a half mile to you know, under a couple hundred yards. Wow. That's wild. You really got to know that deer. Yeah. I've got, I've got notes of about every day I'd see him. I'd write down the time I'd see him, what the wind was doing, what the weather was doing. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I was looking through all my notes and my pictures and I never got a picture of that deer with the sun hitting him until October. <laughs> that sounds like I, a big old buck. Yep, I could pretty much bank on finding him in a shady spot. So when the sun was out, I would never even look where the sun was hitting. He was always in the shade. Man, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, you really got to know that deer. And it's so smart to be taking notes the way you are, to be able to refer back to him. And sometimes the notes you take... They, they come into play years later down the line, you know, where maybe as running mate or in a basin that what the deer were doing or the times they were moving. That's so cool, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I've, I've got that basin down where, where I ended up killing him. We've actually renamed the kill box because it's it's right below that timbered area. I was telling you about where you can only watch them. Um, pretty much the only place you can kill these deer is if they, they hop over a ridge and get down into this little draw. Uh, we named it the kill box because if they're in there, they're, they're pretty easy to shoot. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, they're set up good to move in on, huh? 
Yep. Yeah. The wind always blows the exact same way in this draw. It's, it's the constant winds. So you never have to worry about the wind getting them. And then, um, you can set up pretty easy on a three, 400 yard shot from, from anywhere in it. You can just move the ridge line to get in on them. Man. Yeah, that's cool. So, so a lot of your, like during the season, like you've already put in the work scouting. So for you, man, you got to have a rock solid mindset to keep with these drainages and keep with these bucks you've located, right? That's got to be a lot of your struggle during season. Oh yeah. And, and it was, that deer was tough because it was the first year I'd hunted in that area. Um, and I, and I told myself I had a written out plan. I was going to hunt that deer. I had the first, uh, three days off before season and I had 10 days of season off and, um, I hadn't seen him. It got so much snow in there that I hadn't been able to get in there for a couple of weeks. So I hadn't seen him since, um, the mid November or mid, um, sorry, mid September. And, uh, but I just, I had a gut feeling the deer was still there and I wasn't going to waste any time, uh, trying to find deer in other places. I was committed to killing that deer. He was the biggest buck I'd seen that year and I wanted to shoot him. So, uh, my plan was pretty much to spend the first, uh, three days before season scouring that, that same hillside from my same vantage point And then first three days of season. So six days doing what I'd done in the same area, uh, I'd seen him all along and then I was going to move one ridge uh, in towards his core area every day, so like one finger ridge, so 150, 200 yards at a time for the rest of the days I had in there, because I had a, you know, I I had a strong gut feeling that he was still going to be living in his core area. Man, um, you'd make a really good bow hunter too. How patient you are! <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, uh, I am and I'm not. <laughs> um, I I know what you mean, but yeah, that 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 show of, of discipline and patience. Well, and I've got a little bit of inside track on you too. Like we've hung out before we did the death hike together. And so, you know, I've been mm-hmm. able to see you under uh, stress and under duration. And I know <laughs> you've got like such a strong mind on you. Like how big of a role does that play in your success year to year? It's just your tenacity, your drive, your commitment to, to looking for big mule deer. Like how much does that play a role? So I'm nowhere near as tough as, as what some people describe me as. What I completely credit it to is is a history of seeing myself go the think I could go with everything that I've done. Um, if you've got the mindset to go one step farther than you think you can go, you can do it one more time. So I've I've done some really long hard hikes, and that that one was one of the at the time of my life that was the longest hardest one. We ended up, uh, I think we ended up doing like 38.8 miles that day, but, um, just I've gotten myself in a situation where I've got enough confidence to know I can do more than, than in the moment I think I can. And, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to kill enough big bucks that I know my best odds are, are staying the course and, and, you know, make a plan and work your plan. So even when things don't look right. I'm I'm going to stick to my plan until they're they're apparently wrong. Yeah, it's so great. It's so introspective too, to to be able to self-diagnose or be able to to be able to know that staying the course is your best bet. But I think it's just such a common trait between successful hunters. It's just that mindset, you know, just that tenacity and that go for it. And I I love that you draw off tough times, and I do too. Like 
you know, we've, we've been under tough hikes or we've been through tough hunts where we've came out on top and we've harvested a good buck. And so, you know, we felt the payoff and we know it's there and we know we can accomplish it. And we also know that we've been at our lowest low where, you know, at least for me, if I've missed a shot or if I've, I've, I've duffed an opportunity or, or whatever the case is. Like, like, I just know that, you know, I, I can find redemption, that I can do it, you know, that I can find a big buck and put an arrow in him, and that I just have to keep mm-hmm. trying. And it, it does seem like mission impossible sometimes, but it's amazing what just that belief in yourself and belief in the cause and the game plan like you do and where you just start finding consistent success. You know, it just it just happens and it starts happening year after year. Oh, and, and you really have to. I mean, you, you know, my... I've got big, big goals of what I want to do every year. And the statistics of it are pretty grim. Like if a person looks at the statistics of killing a 180 inch deer, there aren't that many of them. Realistically, there's very, very few 180 inch deer. Or if your goal is a 30 inch deer, there's very, very few 30 inch wide deer, Um, especially in general units, which is pretty much all I hunt. So if a person looks at things with that perspective, it's, it's pretty grim. But you, you really do have to have a belief that there's a big buck on that mountain. Because if you don't at your core believe it, you're going to give up well before you're ever successful. That's so true. Yeah, you got to believe in it, don't you? Believe there's a buck there. Oh, a, eternal optimist. Yeah. <clears throat> my, my friends think I'm delusional because I think there's a 200-inch <laughs> buck on every mountain I hunt. Well, it does take that belief, and if there isn't a 200-inch buck, at least for me in my mindset, then I'm going to go to the next mountain where I think I can find them. Like, I believe there's one in the unit somewhere, you know? I just have to find them. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so cool. Um, so cool how you've developed it over the years. And and as we're younger, like, I know I made mistakes where I'd give up early or I'd, I'd give up too soon or I wouldn't push hard enough or whatever it is, but you kind of learn from those toughen yourself and harden your mindset and then like you say it it's funny how it just happens time and time again then yeah and the unfortunate thing i think too is a lot of people don't see the failure you know i, I don't post pictures of me having a horrible day on the mountain I, I post a picture of me next to a big buck and people think that it just materializes for me there's more bad days than there are good but i i have the i have the staying power to see through the bad days until i find a good one and you only have to have one good one. <laughs> and that's that's the thing I think a lot of people lose sight of when they're when they're in this journey trying to trying to find and kill big deer consistently is is they'll go most of the year and not see a big deer and they'll quit the day before it happens. And and I think that's the thing that that finding some success. I'm really grateful. I, I found success very early on in this, be it be it luck or any any kind of skill. But I found success. And then that gave me the, the drive to carry on a little bit farther than I might have otherwise. And, and you really have to because there's, you know, there's significantly more days that you don't see a big deer than there are days that you do. So first you've got to have the right mindset. Oh, failure is a prerequisite, you know, with bow hunting, yeah. I'm going to fail on the stock. I'm going to fail on the shot. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fail at finding them. Like it's one failure after the next, like I just got done. I just finished up like a late season hunt down in your neck of the woods where I hunted two mm-hmm. different units, three or four different trips, 11 days, you know, and I had a couple epic days of hunting where I was really close to killing my target buck, but 
you know, there's a lot of bad days in there and there's a lot of days with two feet of snow and 15 miles. And there's a lot of days, like you say, five below zero wind blowing out of the north, you know, so cold up there. But, yeah, you don't really get to share all your bad days or all those failures, but they're just a part of it. And you just you're like the eternal optimist. If I don't find them one day. I'm going to find him the next day. At least that's my mindset. I'm I'm always going to find him the next day, the next spot, the next drainage. I always think it's going to be the best day of hunting every day I go out, it seems. You know, and when it's not, you just figure it out from there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's it's the only approach that's successful in, in my mind. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, Dione, uh, we've got like the best sponsors in the industry. So um, we've got these great sponsors for 2019 and now into 2020. So one of them um, is Zamberlin Boots. Uh, so I wanted to give you a pair of these Zamberlin Boots. So I'll get your address and then get your size from you. But the ones they're giving away are these. Um, they're the 4014 Lynx Mid GTX RR Boas. Um, they're a really good lightweight boot. They're around three pounds for a pair, single piece leather design. They keep waterproof. They take waterproofing really well. So um, I'm going to get those over to you so you can check them out, but I'm sure you're going to like them. Um, and I just want to thank uh, Zamberlin Boots for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for coming on. Dude, so fun. I've um, We've chatted mule deer before. I've always had you on my short list of guests, but this is the first time we've been able to connect. It's really fun to pick your mind. You've got such a – you've developed your own your own tactics that that are uh, specifically for like, like your area and the time frame you're hunting. And then you've just got really good at like those opportunities you get in there. I just think it's so neat to, to, to question you on and to hear about your hunts and things. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And there, you know, that's something I've realized too. There's a lot of different approaches to this, and there's a lot of different ways guys can be successful. But at the end of the day, you just have to, you have to kind of figure out what your your skills and abilities are, and then hone them. So I've I've just uh, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of free time and to have uh, the ability to go to some of these places that I can do these things at, and and just kind of get better at them every year. Yeah. Well, um, you do such a good job at holding out and judging bucks as well. Um, it's, it's tough sometimes. It takes a little time, I would say, with mule deer. It's really easy to talk yourself into a mule deer, but once you kind of know what you're looking for, and for me, it's all about age class and mass. You know, I'm, I'm definitely scores in there as I'm thinking score, but if it's a big, heavy deer, like that's the deer that I'm, that I'm going for. But it takes a while to develop that skill of judging. Do you have any tricks that you use? Oh man, I, I do and I don't. So I'm pretty good at field judging deer. I'm, I'm, I'm usually within five inches if, if it gets put on the ground and I can put a tape measure on it. Sometimes, I mean, I've been wildly off too, but I'm pretty good at judging deer. But at my core, I... I look at some deer and just get excited and they'll make me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And those are the ones I like to shoot. <laughs> so not all of them score is great, but, um, if, if a deer gets me really excited, then, then I know. And it, it's, it's usually, it's usually over 170 to get me warm and fuzzy, but some of them just look cool when I shoot those too. Yep. That's about where I am too. Every once in a while, <laughs> 165 will talk me into it or like, I just like heavy older bucks. And so sometimes even a tight frame, but just the mass, you know, and they're an older mm -hmm. deer. I just think that's so impressive. That's what gets me excited too. Yeah. And 
I, I'm the same. I do pretty good. Like I'm a, yeah, I would say I'm five to 10 inches, you know, I, I'm, I'm usually five inches. If I can see that deer, same as you, if I can put a tape on him, I'm going to be really close to calling what he is. But the mass mm-hmm. is always the thing that makes the deer, you know, it seems like you could shoot a 170 deer that's really heavy. And sometimes that's bigger than a 185 deer that's, you know, a little bit younger and longer tines. So I always like those heavy, massive deer. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite deer is when I killed, uh, it was the second buck, or no, it was the first buck I killed 2018. He's got really weak forks, and he's, he's just kind of different looking, but he's almost 28 inches wide, and he's got bananas hanging off of him. He's just got a ton of mass, and he carries it in a really cool way. It's not it's not necessarily where he needs it to score great, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. For, for me, there's something about that, like, 27, 28-inch wide, 170 is typical. That's just kind of what a mule deer is supposed to look like when I, when I close my eyes and I just think Western mule deer hunting, I see it. I see that mid one seventies, one eighties buck. Cause you know, I, a lot of these one ninety, two hundred inch deer, they're, they're fairy tales. Really. There's very, very few of them. And I dream of shooting one one day, but, but I'm really happy shooting those, those 170 inch deer. Cause they're, they're plausible. They, they exist. And, and I can shoot one of those more, most years. So. Me too. And they look so big on the head too. <clears throat> Um, when it's oh, a real yeah. mule deer sitting out there, I'd say, you know, and I'll shoot any buck I like, I shot one this year, a late season buck that had really big fronts, like 14 inch fronts. And then a bunch of splits off them and a, a big hook cheater on the other side. Like he was a really nice buck, but I'd have to say I'm a sucker for big backs. I really like big backs on bucks. I, they just look so tall to me. They're usually not the wider ones, although, you know, big backs buck can be wide or be narrow or be, um, you know, anywhere in between, but I love big backs on a, on a, on a mule deer. I just love that. That's one of my favorite characteristics. Mm-hmm. I like them all. <laughs> right. They're, they're all yeah. individuals and they're all unique. Yeah. That, that one, um, early season one you killed this year, that was sure a wide bugger. That was a nice buck. Yeah. That buck was kind of the, the Holy grail. Um, for me, he was, he scored one eighty six and a half. And he was right at 30 wide. So he's kind of like the two, the two points that guys try to hit all in one. Uh, and that deer really surprised me too. I didn't think he was that big. That one, he's got such huge fronts that it kind of dwarfs his backs. And uh, he's got 26 inch main beam on the one side. So you know, it's 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 a deer in a league that's just not not typical to be seen. So. Um, yeah, it kind of surprised me when I had him on the ground and was looking at him. I'm like, okay, that's about 26 inch long. The other main beam's 25. Yeah, he's he's bigger than I thought. So, man, so do you have um, any bucks that you've scouted years past that you're going to go back and try to find this next season? I had a couple other bucks this year. I had another one that was uh, was really tall and narrow, and I thought he would he'd probably go close to 180. Uh, and another one that was pretty similar built to the one I killed this year, but it's, it's kind of a crapshoot. It's, it's hard to follow deer year to year in the area I'm at. There's a lot of turnover. Um, deer don't, in, in this part of Idaho, they don't get that old. There's pretty high mortality rate. Um, I've been aging deer for a couple of years now and the oldest one I've killed is five and a half. So, um, they, they get pretty big pretty early, but they don't, they don't live very long. So um hope to find find some of them again this next year but 
uh, if there's a different batch in there or some young up-and-comers that just really blew up, I'd be happy with them too. Yeah, no doubt. Um, do you find that there uh, – do you see more antler growth um, that ties to like uh, any uh, weather, like moisture or anything like that? Do you – like if you have a big moisture year and it's a really green year, do you see more extras on those boxer stickers or more inches? Or do you think um, year to year they just kind of grow the same from the same feed? So in the areas I'm at, I don't think it's really dependent on weather. I think some areas like desert type areas are probably more impacted by that stuff. But there's so much water in the areas I'm hunting. There's a lot of seeps and creeks that these deer kind of happen to be around that they do the most of their feeding on the really high protein stuff that grows around those. So year to year, I don't think there's a ton of difference uh, weather wise. I do think it can play a difference um, migration wise. On, on really big weather years where the snow stays pretty late, I don't think a lot of the deer will, will migrate all the way back into the high country because some of the stuff stays snowed out. Um, there's places I can't get into in July. Um, so I think if the feed holds really good down low really late in the year, a lot of these bucks won't move all the way back up. Um, so year to year that might change things, but uh, I don't see much difference growth-wise. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, not that you don't see much growth. Like, I guess that makes sense is I think that uh, that green grass, like just the um, the western climate as we get snowfall and then it melts and we get spring and then the summer, it, it just seems year to year that like uh, – the, the grass and the feed doesn't change much up there. But that's really interesting what you're saying about the migration, almost um, the opposite that I would even think about, that when the snow stays late in the summer, those bucks don't migrate all the way up. Dude, as you're saying that, like that could have been – like I've got this spot in Colorado, and I've gone into these drainages, and usually – like there's a lot of bucks that live in these three, four drainages. I'd say like 50 to 75 bucks that live in these drainages. Some really good ones. Nobody hunts back there. I've never seen another hunter. And I hunted it for like three or four seasons and brought three or four nice bucks out of there. And then I went back. Um, let's see, was it last season? I went back and and it was mm -hmm. a big snow year, like you said. It was a giant snow year. And when I went back... Up in that drainage where I'd seen all these bucks, like I think I saw a total of 11 bucks like in the entire hunt in eight days of hunting, which normally I would see 50 to 75. And I'm just wondering, mm -hmm. as you're saying that, if that wasn't what caused that. So I'm I'm not a biologist. I don't know. I, I can't name any of the plants that a mule deer eats throughout the year, but I know they follow the feed. And as the feed comes into season, it'll prime up in different areas as the weather changes. Obviously, it's cooler at higher elevation, so that feed comes into season later in the year. Now, if, if the feed stays super prime in the low to mid-country and it's not hit that point yet because it's too cold or because there's too much snow on the ground, they'll establish their summer pattern in that lower mid-country, and then they don't want to deviate from it. Man, yeah, that's so interesting. And see, I notice like um, the early seasons, like I hunt a lot of the August, September seasons, and there's a time of year when the animals 
you know, when they start to rub their velvet or there's a time of year where that food starts to burn off up high where the deer then mm-hmm. scoot down off the top alpine basins and they're living in what I keep calling the secondary living. Now that can be anywhere from September 1st all the way to, to September 20th when they move down. But I do notice that if that food burns off early, those bucks move down early too. Yeah. So just like what you're feed, saying, feed following the, the feed. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying. Following the feed. That's my completely uneducated opinion on <laughs> on why they do some of what they do. Mine too. Mine are all uneducated opinions. It's all just me and you, like <laughs> spending time in the field and like like just paying attention to what's around us and what we see. A lot of it could be anecdotal, but um, you know that's all we know. That's the only proof we have, right? Is these working theories that we come up with. Yeah, and it's it's funny. So that that year, I followed the same buck for for two months. I joked around with a lot of my friends. I spent so much time creeping on that deer. I, I called it my mule deer two hundred one class. <laughs> so I, I learned I learned a lot from that deer and all the other deer he hung out with in that area because I I watched the same group of bucks for two months. Man, that's it's so cool. Like we have a passion for something that we can continue to learn, that continues to challenge us, and it like it never gets easy. And just like you were saying, you know, people see on your social media, they see it every year you come up with a good buck, but every year you have to prove it again, and and not only to yourself but to the mule deer. Like you know, people think the the same thing that you know I go out with my bow and a, a giant mule deer is going to lay down for me or give me an opportunity, but you have to earn it every single year with mm-hmm. with hard work determination putting in the miles locating the deer and then getting things right and getting the stock right there's there's so much failure that goes into that you know that it it, it makes it seem like it's uh like it happens all the time or that it's an automatic but but that's why we love it is that every year we have to go prove it again go prove that we can harvest a a, a good mule deer you know that's the awesome yeah. thing about it i think Absolutely, and each one of these big deer that I've I've followed and watched has they have a little bit different program. I feel like I've learned mule deer a lot over the course of you know the time I've been hunting them, and I know a lot about them. But each one will do something a little bit different, and that's his his key to survival. So trying yeah. to figure out that deer and and why he does what he does. Um, that's what keeps it interesting for me. Man, you get to know those deer so intimately, but. That's um, I like what you say that they're individuals, that they have personalities or they have uh, survival traits or instinct traits that they kind of do. And and no two deer are the same, are they? How they act and how they behave. Each one is just a little bit different in what he prefers and what he likes. And then I'd even go as far to say, like, there's so many different, I think, subspecies of mule deer. You know, you kill those big mountain deer that are in Wyoming and Colorado that'll weigh 300 pounds and then you know uh you know other places like the Montana deer the the buck I shot on the prairie this year that was a aged at a five-year-old buck you know that thing was maybe 160 pounds you know they're just smaller and Mm -hmm. the biggest buck I ever shot in Utah that thing had to weigh 150 pounds it was a a smaller (laughs) desert deer but they all kind of are individuals and have their preferences um, they all kind of behave by the same mule deer law, but they're all different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, yeah. that's wild. How cool. Um, so you got any, uh, uh, plans, I guess we're just getting into application season. Are you going to apply in a couple different places this year? 
Well, I've got I've got a second child on the way, so um, negotiations are currently happening with my wife on, <laughs> on what I'm what my time allotment is for next year, and then I'll plan accordingly. So okay, congratulations I, uh, on your family. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. No, I'm super excited. Found out uh, found out last week this one's a boy, so um, first one's a girl. Either way, they're both hunting buddies, and she's not getting out of it. But uh, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm sure excited either way. So. Yeah, it's really cool. It's so cool to like have this family unit. Like you're just in the start of it, you know, with your with your new girl and your boy on the way. Man, there's nothing I cherish more than like like my family and uh support of them. And I my kids are older. Like I've got two daughters now and I'm 16 and almost 12. Um but it has just been an amazing ride, you know. I just uh I love it every step of the way. So man, you're in for a real treat. No, I'm excited. I'm for sure excited. So We'll see. I don't know what uh, what next year has in store for me. I'm sure I'm going to hunt at least one Idaho deer. And uh, I don't know. If, if I don't have a whole lot of time, I, I don't like to do a bunch of things halfway. I'd rather do one thing well. So if, uh, if I don't get that much time and things are kind of hard on the home front, I'll probably just try and do one really good Idaho deer hunt, try and find one buck. I don't know if I can make a handful of day trips through the summer, see if I can find something decent and then uh, probably just hunt that deer. If, if things are going smooth, I might try and, uh, try and make it to Colorado or Utah. So we'll Man. see. I'm stacking up points when the kids get old enough, I'll, I'll break away longer when I can. But, uh, my goal right now is, is to just, if I can only kill one deer, I want to kill one good one. So. Oh, that's a good goal to have. And when you, you live in a great place, we're both lucky that we're able to live out West and, a lot of the enjoyment is just enjoying what's right around us. We live in some of the greatest places, and especially like you live in the state of Idaho, you can pretty much hunt the state of Idaho. So you can travel around that state and, and hunt close to home, and same with me here in Montana. And so, yeah, it's smart to take advantage of that. And I, I sure like um, your approach to, to not do a bunch of things half-assed, to do one thing all the way. That makes good sense to me. So, yeah, good on you. You do you do really good in that Idaho country, man. It's been fun to share in your success. Yeah, I appreciate it. And honestly, for, for me, it's gotten to the point now where I, I probably enjoy scouting more than I like hunting. It's just so much more relaxing. The weather's usually nice. Uh, it's, it's for sure prettier when everything's just green as can be. And you see way more animals, so... Uh, for me, it's a win to just find one in the summer. Even if I don't get to kill them, it's, it's a win to just be up, up in those places that I love to be in. And, uh, mule deer country is the best places in the world. So that's, that's my happy place. Man, you're doing it right. Like I've been thinking about that a lot lately as we're, you know, finishing up the new year and kind of reflecting back on hunts and things. And I used to be so goal driven, but anymore, the goal is to enjoy the process and enjoy the journey. Like, enjoy the time I get up there. Enjoy the time I get chasing those things or stalking them or trying to locate them. And I'm with you. That scouting season is so special to me. Like, I can't, I can't see a year that goes by that I don't run scouting trips. I love that I put a bunch of miles on and I'm always looking at new country and looking over bucks. That's a real special time to me, and it's it's dang near as important or more important, like you say, than hunting season itself. So that's really cool that you're taking advantage of that, and also that that you're just enjoying your time in mule deer country, like matching wits with those things. Because I, I I know that's what I'm thinking about too. Is I'm just so fortunate and lucky, whether I've got one tag in my pocket or three, 
just to be able to get to mule deer country and be able to try to glass them and try to make plays on them. I just love the, the species and I love the adventure that they take me on. Well, and, and honestly, like you just said, word, word for word, um, when I'm, when I'm talking to people who are newer to this and, and they're asking what one of the best things you can do is if you learn how to enjoy the process, it all gets easy. And I really, really think, um, my, one of the greatest things that happened to me is I learned how to just enjoy the process because the, the, the drudgery of it, of it just kind of goes away. The, the long nights you get off work and then you spend the whole night hiking into a place that, that becomes fun when you learn how to enjoy the process. Yep. That's well said. Well, thanks brother, man. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and chatting mule deer with me. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot tonight. Uh, I just love your approach to mule deer. Yeah, thanks. It's been a great time for me too. Right on, man. Well, yeah, I'm gonna, and I'm going to catch up with you. Um, you're going to be at the Western Hunting Summit. Um, real quick, where can guys find you? Instagram, social media. Um, pretty much just Instagram. Uh, it's wild underscore Idaho. Um, you know, as, as it says on there, I'm mule deer junkie and horrible photographer. If you're looking for great photography, <laughs> this isn't the place. But um, <laughs> I, I typically find a couple couple cool mule deer. So. I love how authentic that is. Yeah, it's great. No, you're a great follow and a heck of a mule deer hunter. And I just really appreciate it. And I'll catch up with you here at the Western Hunting Summit. Yeah, thanks. And uh, looking forward to seeing you there too. Yep. And hang on just real quick after we finish this. Let me grab your address from you. So uh, thanks again. Yeah, no problem. It's been fun. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Again, just so fun to compare tactics. Uh, Dione, he... You know, you talk about patience. I mean, um, he credits me for being able to bow hunt mule deer, but some of the patience he spends on those vantage points looking for those big bucks that he's located, you know, prior in his scouting or prior in his season, um, you know, it, it, it motivates me to be more patient. Just patience kills the buck. Just time after time, a rifle with a bow, uh, you know, uh, different seasons, whatever the habitat. But uh, so great to dive into those specific tactics that he uses. And, you know, I hunt a lot of that country that he hunts. I usually hunt it in the late season with my bow, but that same rough and rugged country. And just so much uh, of what he says may be different from the way I do it, but sure applies to my hunting and I can learn from it. So thanks to Dione for sharing so much great information. Um, I really like that guy. Uh, also, thanks to our sponsors, Zamberlin Boots, able to get those to Dione. We'll see uh, how he likes them. I know he's going to love them, that single-piece leather design. They're just um, – they, they build them with uh, uh, Vibram soles. Um, you know, they're waterproof, and uh, they, they're just made for, for mountain hunting. And so I know he's going to like them. I know I love mine. Again, I'm using that 320 Trailite GTX. Um, man, what a great boot. I mean – I would say the best boot that I have ever owned and used. So that's saying something. I've been through a bunch of boots. I also want to thank um, Sportsman's Warehouse, um, where you can go in, try it on, touch and feel it. Again, they, they have all those Zamberlin boots in there that you can try on, all the Sika gear in there, all the top name brands for glass, for rifles, for uh, uh, archery equipment. You know, they, They've got it all there, fishing equipment. So uh, if you're in the need for some stuff, um, some outdoor gear, uh, make sure to check out Sportsman's Warehouse. And with that, let's see. 
Gosh, I, oh, I got surprised uh, last night. Um, so I self-filmed that antelope hunt from this year and turned in all my footage, and I hadn't really heard anything or seen anything. And I thought, well, maybe I'll I'll put together an, an Instagram video with it or something like that. And then um, I saw last night, Outdoor Channel, I saw there was a new Eastman's recording, and so I clicked on it, and it was an antelope hunt. And so I started watching uh, Brandon Mason, and he was hunting antelope with his son Hunter was filming him and did a great job of telling the story. Brandon Mason is so authentic. I, I really like that guy too. Um, but uh, so I, I shared an episode with Brandon Mason on a caribou hunt and he did an Alaska hunt. We shared an episode and then we shared another one on, on this antelope hunt. So he hunted with his boy. He was the first half of the episode. And then the second half of the episode came on and it's all that solo footage I put together from that antelope hunt. So I'm pretty proud I'm I'm able to tell the story and show the scenes and and really talk about you know some different subject matter than than you see on the outdoor channel. I mean it's public land western hunting. Um, but yeah, I not to say I'm impressed by myself, but uh, I was impressed at the episode. It came out really good, and um, you know it's only a half episode, but uh, it if you guys uh, DVR the uh, Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel and check it out. Let me know what you think. Um, antelope hunting is about as fun as it comes. And so like, you can just see the, and it's one of the first hunts of the year. It's early August. And so, man, I am all smiles. I, I miss a buck and heck I say, well, that's antelope hunting. I don't, I didn't even make an excuse for it. I don't know if he jumped my string or if I just flat out missed him or what I did, but, um, but yeah, it, uh, it was a, it was a cool episode. There was a lot of scenes in there that I forgot I shot. Uh, you know, the hunt takes about a week to film and then they pick and choose different clips out of it. But yeah, it came out really good. So, uh, make sure to check that out. That elk episode came out last week. So two weeks in a row. Um, and, and really proud of that elk episode and the way that came out. So, um, yeah, I gotta I gotta put more into this filming to see those couple episodes come to life and be able to tell my story and how comfortable I'm getting with the camera now. Like it just makes me want to do more. I think I, I think I need to commit to that solo filming a little bit more. Um, yeah, I may have less success, but I, I know I can accomplish it and uh, film and get the scenes I want and tell a really good story. And it's so fun to like. You know, my girls just see that I'm gone all the time and, you know, they'll look through my pictures or I'll be able to share clips with them or things. But to have a whole hunt edited together for my antelope hunt and to get all my girls together watching, I mean, you know, it's not that big a deal, but it's like their dad's on TV, which is pretty cool. You know, it's like sometimes I just got to got to uh, sit back and, and pat myself on the back. The you know, 25 year old me would sure be impressed. And um, it seems normal and I don't make a big deal out of it, but it's pretty cool to be able to share with my kids and my wife and sit down and watch the episode with me and um, ask questions. It's uh, it's it's really neat for me and humbling for me. So anyways, make sure to check it out if you get a chance. Uh, we also, also have a bunch of good Beyond the Grids out there. We got Guy Eastman's Cat Hunt where... Um, cat ran into a culvert after he shot it with an arrow and um dan about got ran over by the thing uh a really good episode um and then also uh brandon mason uh his son hunter that was filming for him um they filmed uh hunter's first mule deer hunt or maybe it's his second mule deer hunt but they filmed his mule deer hunt he's just a young kid and um brandon does such a great job with his kids um just mentoring them and, and teaching them the right way to go about it. And then they, they film this hunt and put it out. Make sure to check it out. It's a great episode. 
So that's Beyond the Grid. That's our internet TV show. And I'm hoping that these couple episodes that are out on the Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel will come out on our Beyond the Grid so I can share them with everybody, even the guys that don't have TV. So I'm caught in that middle. So, you know, I'm 39. So I was around before the internet. And uh, it, it seems like uh, the older guys still have the dish and the um, TV. I You know, I'm in with that crowd. And then I also, you know, I also uh, watch a lot of internet TV. So I, I just, I like sporting events and I like uh, uh, fights. And there's just a few things like on the dish that I like to get that it's worth it for me and my family to have it. But so I'm in the middle where I do both, but I know some guys... Uh, have TV, and then a lot of guys have cut the cord, which is so smart. I mean, cut down your monthly outgo, and you have to pay for internet. You might as well use that for your entertainment now with Netflix and, gosh, everything that's out there. So um, to each their own, but, yeah, uh, hopefully these ones that are on the Outdoor Channel, you'll be able to watch on the Beyond the Grid coming up. And with that, we're just getting into application season. So if you don't have a subscription to, to Eastman's Hunting Journal, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, uh, get one now as our MRS uh, members research section is coming up. Um, just gives you all the different information on different states and different hunts and gives you a really good feel for out west. And uh, you start planning for the future either with buying points or applying for, for different tags in different states. Somebody's got to draw them. And there's a lot of good tags out west and still a lot of opportunity. Uh, so make sure to, to get that and get a subscription to Eastman's. Uh, I don't have a promo code right now, but um, I'm sure we'll have one coming up in the near future. So I'll let you know on that. And with that, gosh, let's see, got out that that solo episode, and then the, the pack donkeys. That was a good one. Um, just something totally different that I that I had that I didn't know anything about. Yeah, and then solo episode. I mean, it's a stream of consciousness for you know 90 minutes. Um, got off subject here and there, but I you know I think the message is strong. You know, I just I I want to have a great 2020, and I want you guys to too, or two as well. And uh, so we put that out, and uh, yeah, we just keep it rolling here. God, I got some great guests and some great podcasts coming up for this off season, and then I'm gonna take off with my buddy Dan. Um, I've got a little family trip here, a few days, gonna hang out with the girls. We're gonna go down to Arizona. You know, grandpa's down there, hang out with him, and then let's see, I'm I'm flying back from that, and then jumping in the truck with Dan a couple days later, and we're gonna head down to to AZ hunt some um, muleys. My rut timing's a little bit off, and then you know we'll we'll hunt some coos, which uh, hopefully my rut timing's pretty good on them. So yeah, we're just gonna go down, have an adventure, have fun, go live in the desert. So man, I'm really looking forward to it. Got that bow shooting really good. Been getting my runs in. Um, just feel great, but yeah, ready to go have another adventure. And so we're gonna do something fun on this one. I'll either I'll either record a live IG story day by day or a live podcast or I'll I'll get a game plan here before we take off and um, we'll we'll do some sort of media type to kind of capture it. I'm not sure that I, I talk about self-filming. Boy, that'd be a real task. Self-filming an antelope is pretty tough. Self-filming a coos deer might even be tougher yet, but who knows? We'll, uh, I'll get a game plan here and we'll move forward. So uh, thanks as always, guys, for all the support on the podcast. Man, I really appreciate it. And uh, with that, I'll check in with you next week.